If you would like to um, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel and chapter 17, we will be looking at that chapter and um, quoting some verses from that. As you know, last week, Gareth started a series on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I just feel this morning that to deal with this subject, we just need to understand something about the Holy Spirit and what he does. In Luke 24 and John 14 and John 15, Jesus said that when he went back to heaven, the Father would send the Holy Spirit down to this earth. Jesus in person is now not here. He is in heaven. But the Holy Spirit is here taking his place. And whereas with Jesus he was confined to a body, now the Holy Spirit is not only with us, but he's in us and he's working through us to carry on the work that Jesus started. When we become a Christian... The Holy Spirit is at work. Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born of the Spirit. When you become a Christian, it's a miracle. I mean, some of you that are here today, five years ago, would have never darkened the doors of a church. Then why are you here? Why are you singing hymns, songs, and, uh, and worshiping? Because God has produced a miracle in your life. He's changed you from a sinner to a saint, from a believe, an unbeliever to a believer, from, from someone whose mind were closed to God's word to someone whose now mind is open. Now, God has done that, and it's the Holy Spirit that has done it. He did it to the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a persecutor, but God changed him, and he became an evangelist. John Newton was a slave trader. He was a captain of a ship, a very cruel man. But God changed his life so much that he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Charles Colson, he was a man right at the very center of the Watergate plot in America. He was one of the instigators. He was right there at it. But after the whole thing blew up, God spoke to him and changed that man's life. And in prison, he became a Christian. And now he works with prisoners. He spent his life full time serving others. That is a miracle. We are also, the Holy Spirit is at work when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We know that in Acts chapter 2, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke a new language that they'd never been taught. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is now the power of God beginning to work through us supernaturally, helping us to carry on the work of Jesus. What happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? You're broken through into a supernatural realm. That's why we speak in tongues. That seems to me to be the first sign. When I, if I can speak a language I've never been taught, something's happening. And, and, and so often we see that as the first sign, speaking in a new language. So that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So what do we mean by the anointing? We mean by the anointing those special moments when God moves in a powerful way on and through us to do something exceptional. Now, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, but there are times when the power of God comes upon us and we find God doing things quite exceptional and we know it's God working. I mean, 
we've got a guy in the church that blows a trumpet. But I don't think he's done what Gideon did. Gideon went into the marketplace and he blew a trumpet. That's all he did. And within a few minutes, 22,000 men had joined his army. I mean, and it says the Holy Spirit came upon him as the trumpet blew. Now, you can blow a trumpet and it sounds good, but when you blow a trumpet and the Holy Ghost comes upon you, anything can happen. And this man mustered an army of not 20, sorry, 32,000 people. They all came to join him. Samson, he picks up a jawbone of an ass. Now, a jawbone of an ass is an old bone. But suddenly the power of God came upon him and he killed a thousand Philistines. Now, if you're facing an army of Philistines with swords and shields and goodness knows what else, and you go forward with a bone, nothing much is going to happen unless God does something. And the power of God came upon him, and he did something extraordinary. And that is what happened in the Bible. There were time after time after time when the power of God came upon people, when the power of God worked, and miracles took place. Just to take a couple, there were miracles of provision. God blessed, anointed five loaves and two fishes. And what happened? They fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, only God can do that. In the Bible, there was a little bit of oil in a vase. And God anointed Elisha to tell the woman to keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring. And she filled every container she could get her hands on. Why? The Holy Spirit provided. And you know, the Holy Spirit can come upon a church, can come upon individuals, can move in people's lives, and suddenly God can provide. I mean, we're believing God to provide us with a lot of money. Do you know God could change the whole situation? There's a, there's a stone <clears throat> in a church in Sunderland where the Pentecostal revival started in the last century. And it says this, this is where the fire fell and burnt up the debt. Wouldn't it be great for the fire, the power of God, to fall upon this place and upon us as a congregation and for us to see hundreds of thousands of pounds being provided? That's what the anointing does. It makes the difference. Miracles of healing. <clears throat> time and time again, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. They prayed for the sick and they were healed. Now that's what we mean by the anointing. Those special times when God enables us to do something extraordinary. Now in this story, in Samuel, sorry, 1 Kings chapter 7, uh, 1 Kings, and we see here something exceptional happening. In 1 Samuel, that's right, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see something unusual happening. <clears throat> and we hear here the anointing to kill giants. Now what's a giant? Well, a giant is anything that you are facing that is bigger than you. I don't know if there's anybody here this morning, but maybe you're, you're looking at something and, and you're facing something in your life, in your circumstances, in your ministry, and, and it's something that you cannot cope with. It's something that you cannot do. It's something that only God can do. Well, that's your giant. That's the thing that you need to deal with. But you can't deal with it by yourself. You can only deal with it when the power of God 
comes into the situation and works either in or through you to bring that to pass. We are facing lots of giants in our country at the moment. I don't know how you feel about this country at the moment, particularly with elections coming up and all kinds of things happening. And you know, friends, in this country, we face giants that need to be killed, that need to be brought down. And it's only the church that has the ability to do it. <clears throat> in this city, in this community, there are giants of sin and darkness that need to be broken if God is going to move. In the church, the, the giant of finance in our lives. Now, there have always been giants around. In fact, the devil is always putting things like that in front of us to challenge us and, and, and to cause us, really, just like the Israelites, to stand back in fear. And if we're going to accomplish anything for God, we need to be people who can take up the challenge, can face the giants and bring them down. If I understand the Bible correctly, I also believe we're going to face even greater challenges in these last days. I don't know whether you realize, but time is getting short. And the coming of Jesus is getting very, very near. And the Bible makes it quite clear that all kinds of things are going to arise to oppose the church. It even talks about many forsaking the faith. And friends, if we are going to be people that are going to be ready when Jesus comes, if we're going to be taken up to be with him, then we must be people who can conquer giants. And we need the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't do these things without God. We cannot do these things without the anointing. I like the little story of a mother one day who overheard her little boy as he was praying, and it raised a smile as, she's, as he said, Dear God, please take care of my daddy and my mummy and my sister and my brother and my doggy and me. And there was a pause, and he said, Oh, and please take care of yourself, God. If anything happens to you, we're going to be in a big mess. And that's true. You know, without God and without the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there are going to be problems, there are going to be things that we cannot face alone, and we're going to need God's help. Now, as you look at this story, there are some very, very interesting things. There's, first of all, the place of this anointing. You know, one of the problems is that so many of us think that God only works with us when everything's going well, when everything's good. But, you know, the trouble is, when things are going well, we, are, we tend to try and do it ourselves. It's only when we can't do it that we ask God to do it. And the fact is, we need the anointing often when our circumstances are at their worst. And you know, the devil's not daft. He knows where to pick his moments. He knows when to put giants before us. And they are usually moments when everything is stacked up against us. They're usually moments when, when it seems if God has brought us to a cliff edge and we're nearly tumbling over. And at that moment we cry, God, help me. And it's at that moment that God steps in. And it's so often happened. You know, you've heard the story of George Muller, how one breakfast time he brought all the, the youngsters in to the breakfast. He sat them all down at the tables. And he said to the children, he said, well, he said, I have to tell you, we have nothing to eat this morning and nothing to drink. He said, let's pray and ask God to help us. And as he prayed, 
Somebody stopped at the door. In fact, two people stopped at the door, the local milkman and the local baker. They both had problems with getting rid of the stuff and they had lots of milk and lots of bread over and they came into the place with loads of food. Right at the last moment, God undertook. And this is the moment that Goliath chooses to challenge God's people. This is the moment when David killed the giant. It was a place of disobedience. Saul had been rejected because he had disobeyed God. And not only that, he was even troubled by demonic, demonic power. And, and at that moment, it seemed that the whole nation was in a state of disobedience. They, they, they were not really following God as they should have been. The leaders were confused. And friends, we live at a time of disobedience. And every time we needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's at this moment in time. Because we, we, we live in a nation where our leaders have disobeyed God. You know, we've probably broken with laws that we passed nearly every commandment that God gave us. That's where we are as a nation. And friends, we need that anointing. We need that breakthrough. We need God to work. It was also a place of diversion. Now, the only voice that could be heard was Goliath's. In verse 10, it says, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of the living God. And here's an interesting thing. Notice what he said. I defy the armies of the living God. And the next moment he says, choose one person to come out and fight me. Now hold on a minute. If he's defying the armies of the living God, why didn't he ask them all to run out? Why ask one? What was he doing? The battle was between two armies, not between two people. And what he was doing was he was diverting the people from the job that they were there to do. And you know, the devil loves leading us up the garden path. And that's what he does. <clears throat> he likes to make a lot of noise. He likes to confront us with things so that we get our eyes off God. The Bible says your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now notice the word as. He is not a lion. There's only one lion. And the Bible tells us he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's Jesus. But he goes about as a lion. He pretends to be a lion. He mimics the true lion. And he tries to get our eyes upon him and get our eyes off God. And that's where the devil wants you to be this morning. That's why it's been so important that we worship God. You know, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, we need to get our eyes on God. We need to worship him. We need to hear what is God saying? What does God want to say? You see, we have the Bible. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. He, God, has raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is that place? Ephesians tells us, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet. Now, that's where we are. But you see, the devil tries to frighten us. He tries to confront us with giants. He tries to get our eyes on him and the problems around about us. Friends, take your eye off the problem for a moment. Get your eye on God. Don't be diverted. It was also a place of doubt. Goliath says, why have you come out to line up for battle? He was questioning the reason for being there. In fact, he was questioning why they never bothered to come out and fight them. What's the point of being here? I mean, after all, it don't take two armies, it only takes two of us. Your strategy is wrong. And it got to a place where nobody believed 
they could beat Goliath. It says, when Saul and all Israel, in verse 11, heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. What have they done? Well, they've forgotten past victories. Caleb had attacked Goliath's forefathers and taken their land. Samson had defeated Philistines single-handed. Jonathan and his armor-bearer had defeated a a Philistine garrison, just the two of them, and that was in their past history. And they'd forgotten it. Now they were beginning to doubt. And and when David ran out to fight the giant, nobody nobody believed he could do it. I mean, what a, you know, it, it wasn't exactly encouraging. It says in verse 29, now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David was totally on his own. The whole atmosphere was covered in doubt. And you know, Again, doubt is one of Satan's great weapons. He doesn't want you to believe that you can do it with God. And I add that, with God. You see, friends, whatever you're facing, whatever problem, we need to believe that God is able. We need to remind ourselves, remind yourself of past blessing, past provision, past healing. Anything that you can kind of think back to that God has met you in a certain way, Get your eyes upon that and your eyes upon the God who met that need and it will allow you to drown out God, the, the devil's voice. But don't let the devil drown out God's voice. You know, sometimes you can say something time and time and time again and in the end you believe something that's not true. A philosophy professor was teaching a course to a class. He said, next week, he said, tomorrow, he said, I'm going to give you a test. The next morning, he walked in, took a chair, put it on the table, wrote on the blackboard, prove to me that this chair does not exist. Now, most of the nervous students began scribbling huge essays to prove it wasn't there. But one member of the class wrote down two words and handed it in. And the professor had to smile when he read the student's answer. It was simply, what chair? What chair? You so doubt, you so doubt, you so doubt, and you can actually believe something's not there eventually. That's the point he was making. And friends, here was a place of doubt. It was a place of defeat. Now, interestingly... This battle was being fought on Jewish soil. The Philistines had already invaded and already they had taken part of Israel. And now on Israel's land, they were challenging them. So there there was a sense of defeat, it says in verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Here's the interesting thing. They weren't afraid of the army. They were afraid of one man. Such a defeat taken place. And friends, you know, it's so easy sometimes 
to be defeated by something and to stay in that place. And, and not to realize that, in that even in that very place, if we were only to get our eyes upon God, we would see victories. The Holy Spirit can break in and the Holy Spirit can move. Ephesians says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this age, against spiritual wickedness of heavenly places. Yes, we are in a battle, but Corinthians says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And Romans says, In all these things we are more than conquerors. The Bible doesn't try to kind of pretend that we're not against the great enemy. But what the enemy seeks to do is to keep us fixed on him. But God wants us to get our eyes upon him and to recognize that even though we may feel defeated, even though we may feel down, even though we may feel in a desperate situation, God is still able to break in with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not us. It's the anointing that makes the difference. And of course, it was a place of desperation. Everything was going wrong. It seemed that there was no hope. And you know, sometimes we can come to situations like that. We can come to points in our life where it seems that things are so bad, we are desperate. But do you realize that that's the very moment that God wants to do something? That's the very moment when we need the anointing. That's the very moment. In fact, I would say this. That very often, the only way that God can get us to get desperate and to pray and to seek him and to call upon him is by bringing us to that place. And God often allows those situations to take place in our lives. Why? Because we're trusting in ourselves. We're looking to ourselves. We're talking about ourselves, what we can do. You know, how we can do this, we can do that. When in the end, it's not us, it's God. And it's God working through us. And friend, this was the place. And yet we see in the Bible that very often in these places God undertook. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles, sorry, in 32, Hezekiah brings about an incredible spiritual revival in Judah. <clears throat> he restores the temple worship. And then this Syrian army attacks him. And I tell you, they were some army. They had beaten and conquered everybody in sight. The whole world at that time was frightened out of their lives of the Assyrian army. And they even stand outside speaking in the language of the people in Jerusalem, mocking them, saying to them, you're trusting Hezekiah and his God. He can't help you. Where are all the other gods? Where's the gods of all these other people? Where's the God of even the northern kingdom of Israel and you, the kingdom of Judah? Do you think that you can conquer us? And they mocked him. What did Hezekiah do? He went and he cried out to God. And the Bible tells us that the angel of God came over that army and destroyed it. God undertook. God intervened. I could talk about the person who had this anointing. I could talk about the purpose of this anointing, but time has practically gone. Let me tell you a story. In Colombia, in South America, there was a city that was totally dominated. I've got the in fact, I've got a video of this at home. It's an incredible video that was totally dominated by the drug cartels. They controlled everything. They controlled the politicians. They controlled the authorities. They controlled the police. 
they controlled everything. And then there was one man, a godly man, a Christian. And he started to get his people to pray that God would change the situation. And he got together a few leaders in the city and they began to pray and they began to cry out to God. Now interestingly, the cartels were so threatened by this one man, they assassinated him and killed him. But what that did was it stirred up the whole church in that city to begin to pray. And they began to hold weekly all-night prayer meetings. Eventually, there were 20, 30, 40,000 filling a football stadium in that city, crying out to God that God would do something unique and incredible in that city. Suddenly, God began to move. The churches began to fill. Thousands of people became Christians. And the government suddenly and the, the people in control suddenly woke up. And you know, within a few months, revival broke out in that city and every one of those people in those cartels were arrested and put into prison. And the whole thing was smashed in that city. And revival came to that city and tens of thousands of people became Christians. That's what God could do. In a situation where there's doubt, where there's fear, where there's even death, and where there's desperation, God can step in and kill the giants and the things that people are facing. And I want to tell you, friends, this morning, what God did for them, he can do for you. He can do for you. What giant are you facing? What is it that you're confronted with this morning? What is it that's staring you in the face? And maybe it's a situation that you just can't get out of it. You know, even when you come to church and try to worship, it's there looking at you, laughing at you. Listen, what you need is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What you need is God to step in. And friends, that is what the Holy Spirit is for. That is why he came. And there can be those moments when God just breaks in and changes the whole situation. You know, I'm, I've talked to Gareth about this. You know, I'm excited about what we're doing here. But you know, friends, I believe we need a breakthrough. Thank God for what he's doing. But you know, I'm looking for the day when we've got to build a gallery because we can't get everybody in the first floor. I'm looking for a day when we've got hundreds of thousands of pounds coming in that we can utilize this, these premises and do what, what could be done to change this community and bring it about. And as it said in Sunderland, this is where the fire fell and burns up the debt. Are you praying for the anointing? Are you? Are you crying out to God for God to do something special? And do you need God to do something special in your life this morning? He's here. He's able to do it. But it requires you to cry out to him. Let's just bow our heads in prayer, shall we? Perhaps Gareth would come. Father, we recognize this morning that sometimes we find ourselves in all kinds of difficult circumstances, in all kinds of situations that seem to scream out to us that nothing, nothing, nothing can be done. But Father, we thank you this morning because we know there is a God in heaven, a God in heaven who can send the Holy Spirit into situations that seem hopeless and bring about change. Father, I pray this morning there's anybody here that needs you in a special way. 
that is facing a giant that needs to be slain. Oh God, I pray this morning that you will help them to turn to you, to get their eyes upon you, to cry out to you, that you might be able to work and move in their circumstances. In the name of Jesus. Can we stand together? Who's ready to see some giants hit the deck this morning? You may have um, some giants that you're facing in your life, and we certainly can pray for those this morning. I just want to challenge you. You know, when David killed his giant, when he killed Goliath, it affected the whole nation. And I want us as a church this morning to think, yes, about those giants that we are personally facing. But you know what? God can put an anointing on our lives that it doesn't just bring freedom to us and help in our own situations, but it can bring freedom to whole businesses, to whole schools, to whole families, to whole streets. Actually, this morning, you can think a little bit beyond just the giants that you're facing. You can think about some giants where you work in your family, some giants in this city. And we can pray together and we can see giants fall in the name of Jesus. Are we ready for that? Are we up for that? I'm going to ask the ministry team to come uh, to the front here. And uh, we're just going to pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit just to come, to come upon us this morning to help us with some giants that we're facing. And as I said, if there's something that just is, is just so you know, powerful in your life at the moment, something you're facing individually, we want to pray for you for that. But let's think beyond that as well. Let's think about what we're facing as a city. And let's pray for those giants.